Welcome everyone to Arash's World. Today we have Gabrielle Dionath um, um, are uh, visiting us and talking about her book and her prayer journal. How are you doing, Gabrielle? Good, I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. So I, I, I always like to start off with asking the question, basically kind of like an interview question. Tell me about yourself. How would you briefly describe yourself in any way you see fit? Uh, writer is probably the one word. If I only had one word, that's what I would use. Um, I've been a writer since I was 16 and been publishing my work since then. Um, and some of that has been around my, the different parts of my identity, whether that's as a Muslim woman or as a Muslim teenager back then, um, or as a South Asian, being part of the South Asian diaspora, um, but my family is also from the, like we're, we're Guyanese. So even though we're Indian in heritage, we come from the Caribbean as well. Um, and that is a very complex identity. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like I'm like a minority among, like within many minorities. So I feel like a lot of my writing has to do with either creating representation for those communities or are, are inspired by the experiences that I have based on those identities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I have here a writer, you're an editor, you're a journalist as well, and a Girl Scout, as yeah. well as a global citizen. And the last part I can fully identify with, and I really like the idea of also being a global citizen, and you're mentioning here the minorities and, and kind of the not fitting in, but at the same time that gives us it creates some some suffering, but it also creates a lot of power and speaking yes. for others and knowing what it feels like empathy for others, I think. Yes, I love so global citizen was actually one of the companies that I worked for right after I graduated from college, but I love that idea of you know their idea of being global citizen is, is pushing for change and it's all about young motivating young people to push for change and create change, but I also love like that double kind of meaning of being a global citizen as well and, and being um, open to other experiences and listening to others and healing with others and, and all of those things that come along with that title. One of the complications there and for myself is there is like not a definite home because home is anywhere like a nomadic lifestyle and I don't know if you can you relate to that most likely it's just uh, I was born in Iran but that's not the place I would identify with because I grew up in Germany and I live in Canada and so on so it just that kind of confusion where you don't know exactly where you belong, but at the same time, it's also liberating because you feel free and again, a global citizen. Yeah, I, it's so funny that you say that because I have this essay that I wrote when I was in college and I've been trying to find the right place for it to, uh, to publish it. And I think I've finally found the place. And so I was just reading that essay yesterday and it's very much about that. Um, and the whole idea is finding roots in the ocean, because that's really only that that's the place that I, I feel like I feel the connection to. And when you think about immigration, and the way that my ancestors went from India to Guyana, and then to America, where we are now, a lot of that is through the ocean. I feel like that's the only concrete thing I have, you know, of um, their journey that I could really know. Um, but I definitely identify with that. I think you know, being part of the South Asian diaspora 
but being for the, from the like being Indo-Caribbean really means for me I feel like a lot of my life and I, I think it's getting better now it might be a little bit different now things are always improving and changing but I still think there is that feeling of we're not the same as those from the subcontinent you know or those who immigrated straight from the subcontinent who didn't take that little detour that we might have taken um there is this separation you know we don't we've lost uh, a lot of the language a lot of the indians living in the caribbean you adapt because they were brought over as indentured servants many of them um you adapt to what is there and so for my family in guyana um English, because it was a British colony, was, you know, the language that they had to adopt. Um, and so that loss of language can sometimes feel like a real disconnection, you know. And so I think a lot of my life has been like searching for that connection, not only to, you know, to my connection to Guyana is a lot easier because it's, it's a lot closer. But in terms of my connection to India and the subcontinent and where we're from in that way, it's been harder to have because of all the disconnection, whether it's being disconnected from the community, disconnected from the language, um, so much distance and time um, from when we were last there. So I definitely identify with all of what you're, you know, with your experiences as well. And it's really the context because I speak five languages, but if I go and I'm educated, but if I go to Iran, I can't read because I don't know how to read the language and I'll be an illiterate in their point of view. And so it's, it's that kind of like what we see as abilities in certain moments, they, they change and it's kind of fluid. And I saw also a video where a person who is in, in, in a deaf and mute school and is, 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 he can't communicate with them, but his wife could because she knew sign language. So in a way, he was the one who was disabled in comparison to others. So I think it's really important to see a context of things. And as you're saying, well, we like to see the distinction. We like to differ from others and that's kind of our, our, how our brain perceives things and uh, it's 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 good but at the same time it has many negative uh, downsides for sure so I want to talk about your book a prayer journal for Muslim women it's called shock an inspirational dua uh, dua and gratitude journal for women and um, yeah let's talk about it you have yeah, it yeah. I have it right here um, I also just want to say like I'm super in love with the cover art so I wanted to shout out the artist that I just wanted on to it. mention that that was very beautiful it immediately yes, caught my attention thank you her name is Hafsa Khan um, and if you want to follow her on Instagram it's at half and half um, but she's an amazing amazing artist she's also Muslim so it was really nice to have a Muslim woman also working um, on the cover art for this as well. Um, so Shukr is basically, it's, it's a guided journal where I have selections of different duas, ayahs from the Quran and hadiths for you to first think about what does it actually mean? And then think about how you can incorporate those learnings into your daily life. Um, but also dua is a big part of this book. We really wanted it to be a do a journal. And so there are also pages in each section that will ask you what are the things that you are grateful for. Shukr in Arabic means gratitude or gratefulness. So that I felt like it really encapsulated what we were going for with which was making this both a prayer journal, but also a gratitude journal and blending the two of how could you express gratitude to God? What are you grateful for? And that being the foundation for your duas of the day, your prayers of the day. 
And then um, also, what are your spiritual needs? So I also have a question in there about what would you ask for, aside from being grateful, aside from, um, you know, reflecting on all these things, what do you just spiritually need right now? What would you ask for? Um, and I think that that's something that we don't ask ourselves often. And so I felt like it was really important to put that into the book. I really like that kind of holistic self-care that you talk about. So it's your emotional, spiritual, physical, as well as uh, um, mentally and, and all that. And it reminds me of the, the Spire model of, of happiness and well-being, where they also look at the different parts and so on. And we have to really keep that in mind that we are, um, it's just like, uh, we see one part of ourselves, but then, uh, or others see one part, but there's so much more uh, to right. us, to each of us. And to have that that kind of global, uh, multi-dimensional uh, perspective, and um, so your book is in five sections. So I, I have here the five section: belief and worship, relationships, growth and success, health and community. And and let's talk about that. Let's talk about each of them. First of all, why these five specific sections? Why did you choose those? So a little bit of background about how the project started is that Ulysses Press is a small independent publishing house and they really look to fill the gaps in the market. And so I found out they were looking for an author to create a do a journal because there are many prayer journals and gratitude journals out in the market, but not a lot that directly cater to Muslim women. So, you know, that was a big part of our uh, conception of the ideas that we really want to cater to like the modern Muslim woman who has a busy schedule but still wants to connect spiritually to her you know and, and find that connection to her faith um, so I just thought about my you know when you think about a modern Muslim woman I think that that's any Muslim woman living today I don't think it, there's a specific type that people would probably like to say that oh this is a modern woman versus another type but I just thought about myself. What are the things that are important to me? But I think when you really look at the sections, it's really just what is important to human life, right? If you are a, a person of, you know, belief and worship might not be important to everybody, but let's say that you are a person of faith, that would be, you know, probably one of the most important things. Relationships are such an important part of human life. And then of course you want to stick to, to your development, right? Personal development is such a huge part of, of human life as well. And I wanted to bring the spiritual aspect into that. What does Islam say about growth? What is that within, like how does our religion define that? Um, and health, I wanted to also talk about not just mental health, but physical health. And so you, you'll see some of that in there and then community. I mean, you know, the Ummah is such a large, like we, we you know, it's such an important part of Islam and something that is talked about very often. But I also think when we're talking about being a global citizen or, you know, all of these things, that's all community as well. So um, I just felt like that was, those are the five most important things that I could come up with in terms of umbrella topics. Um, yeah, and I'm really, I, th I think it really covers all the bases. Now it does, it does. Yeah, and I want to briefly like touch upon each of those and just look at one, one of the main ideas. So belief and worship, you're talking about your relationship with Allah. And so, and that can be actually like the idea of just faith of like uh, faith that we often take for granted or we don't spend enough time thinking about it we just it's not on our top top list of, of things to do right and I think that's yeah. really important and also um, testing it and evaluating it and thinking about it yes and I think sometimes you know belief is also a, a 
complicated uh, thing. And, and the Arabic word for that is Iman. And the thing that I feel like we talk about sometimes and, and more, you know, at the masjid or with friends or whatever, is that, you know, it's very human, I think. And I think Islam also says this for your Iman or belief to fluctuate. You have periods where you may be doing all the things you want to be doing spiritually. And sometimes you may feel disconnected, you know, at other periods of time. Um, so, you know, what does Islam say about that? I wanted to bring some of that in there. Um, also, you know, there's this, I, I think it, it's a hadith, I don't, something about belief, having the belief of a mustard seed, belief the size of a mustard seed um, is all that, you know, you really need as a Muslim, like that is accepted. Um, and I think sometimes when we think about belief, it has to be this big overarching thing. So I think that imagery of, a mustard seed, how small that is, that you just have to, that much belief makes you a Muslim, that that's affirms your faith. Um, and it can sometimes not make it feel so overwhelming that, you know, be, if I want, you know, if, if I believe that I, if I believe in this religion, I have to do all of these things and I have to be perfect and I have to attain this, you know, idea of perfection, right? But Islam says like, there really was, there really is no perfect Muslim. We all have, our flaws right and we all have things that we struggle with and that's part of being human and also part of being you know muslim there is no perfect you know perfect person yeah i really like that and we're trying we're failing but we're learning and growing so that's like a constant flux that's happening and i like that you're mentioning it's the ebb and flow because it's not something that's constant and i don't think that's really possible it's that the necessity of of testing ourselves and 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 thinking about things and feeling things um one of the the rifts in uh, if we look in western society was really the idea of like a catholic belief system where they say we tell you what to believe and think and then the protestants who say no, we want to have a personal relationship with God. And so I can see a, a value in both is not one or the other. But it's I think that personal aspect is really important. Would you agree with that That connection, personal connection that we have with uh, whatever divine being uh, you're thinking of, uh, in this case? Yes, of course. I mean, I, I think that that's also, you know, we were speaking about language earlier. So mm -hmm. a lot of the, you know, the, the prayers, it, when you pray in Islam, uh, it's generally in Arabic. Uh, when you do the five daily prayers, but when you make do it, that can be in whatever language you speak, you can really speak from the heart. And um, I think that's your time to really, you know, connect and dig deeper. You know, it's, it's, per, it's personal reflection. Yes, you are having a conversation, but it's, you're also getting to dig deeper and really see what you're feeling and, and what you really need or what you're grateful for. It's really like your reflection time of the day. Um, and so, I, I definitely think that that personal connection is important. And I really agree with what you, you were saying about there's value in both sides of, of those things, right? I think that we need people who are, are educated in Islam, who have full knowledge of the, or, you know, more knowledge than, than others, uh, who can kind of guide the conversation. Here's what we know because we've studied this at length, right? To have scholars is very important in that way. But I also think then to have the personal connection also, okay. right? So it's your, you're getting the larger meaning. There are people who are able to really study and dive deep and share their knowledge. And then, you know, not everybody is able to do that. Not everybody is a scholar, but that doesn't mean that you can't have your own personal relationship to God and your own personal relationship to your faith.
Yeah, I really like that. And kind of integration of it to into your lives. It's not just going to the mosque or going to, to church every Sunday. It's that like using those ideas and applying it directly to your life. I think that is hugely important because faith is not something that's out there. Religion is not something that's out there. It's something that should guide us in our decision making, in our lifestyles, in how we deal with others and treat others. Yes. And I think, you know, sometimes we can get caught up with a lot of like the performance of it right so you may fast but you may not really think about why you're fasting you may pray but you may not think about the Arabic words that you're saying what does that mean what am I actually saying why is this so important um and so I think I want that's why I want to introduce this into the journal because I really want to create that habit of okay you learn something about Islam or you read something in the Quran or in the Hadith uh but do you just read it and then say, okay, I know that, you know, the Prophet Muhammad once said that, or do, do you say, okay, he once said that, and that's such a great piece of advice that there's so much wisdom behind that. How can I now bring that into my life? Right. And I think that there, I, we learn, I just feel like we learn so much, but we just don't know sometimes the why behind it. We don't ponder why do we do these things or how can we incorporate it into our lives? Um, and so I, I felt like that was a really important thing that I wanted to have in the journal. And that's why the prompts for every selection remain the same. So that kind of creates that habit of thinking in that way. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of mindfulness too, not just like reciting words and uh, uh, doing rituals, but really feeling it and, and, and uh, understanding it, as you're saying as well. And you also have relationships and um, you talk about also relationships in, in what terms uh, are you looking at in, in terms of relationships with oneself and others, I would assume? Yeah, so relationships is more um, outwardly. I think belief is, is a lot about that relationship with God and with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, relationships, I focus mostly on your uh, relationships with others. So relationships with parents uh, who are held in, in very high regard in Islam. So what, what does that look like? How should you treat your parents? Relationship with your children. And then also, you know, the marital relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is, there are some important reminders in there. And it's, it's um, some of the topics that I've also been talking about around the book is that, you know, people have this idea that Islam oppresses women when I actually feel like people do that. I don't think that a faith can do that, or I at least don't feel like Islam does that from what I know and what my understanding is. And one of the hadiths that I have in the relationship section is uh, that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, the best of you are those who are best to your wives. Right. And that's such mm -hmm. a, I think, such a great reminder. And I, I think, you know, it's a reminder to men, but I put it in here in this journal for women so that you reflect on that. When you think about how you incorporate it into your daily life, it should be what are you looking for in a spouse? Is that the relationship that you have? Right. Look for someone who will treat you that way, who will be the best to you so that he can be the best. Um, so it's, it's, you know, and that, that's my interpretation of it, but somebody else can, can find value, you know, in, in whatever situation that they're in. But I, I really feel like that was something that I saw as valuable um, as a modern Muslim woman. You know, if you, ha you have the choice of which spouse you're, you're you know, and everybody's experience is different, but like in my case, 
you know, I have the freedom to choose who I marry. I, it doesn't have to be arranged. Um, um, and in that, I know that I want somebody who will treat me that way and who sees that as a, as a core belief that to be a good person also means to be good to my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just a, a maybe tough question here, because so honoring parents is something that in Christianity they talk about as well, one of the Ten Commandments. What if your parents are not honorable? And this is a tough question. If you don't want to go into it, that's fine. But what? what so I, yeah. I think uh, Islam, and again, all of this is from my understanding, and I don't claim to be a scholar about anything. So mm-hmm. anything that is misguided or missaid, please forgive me for that. But from my understanding, I think Islam is clear about that. So there is also. Um, a learning that I've taken from Islam, which is that you're not supposed to cut ties with your family. But cutting ties doesn't mean that you have to be like this with them. All that really means is saying salam when you see them, and that's it. So you do your duty as greeting them, and then that's all that you have to do. And so I think that from what I know, it would be you don't necessarily have to approve of what you're what they're doing but you can still be respectful about it there's also you know if you see you know wrong wrongdoing happening you stop it first with your tongue by saying you know that is that's not what should be done like so you can still speak up and you can say this is wrong and you can choose to remove yourself from a situation that you don't believe you should be in that you don't support but I think that you, there is that line, right, mm-hmm. of where it can be done in a respectful way. And I think parents are given status because parenthood, and I wouldn't know this, I don't have kids, but I can imagine is not an easy thing, right? You, you are raising you from when you're little. And so I think that there's just an honor that Islam gives them. There's an, in, in the same way that Islam honors women and, and certain people of, of the prophet's time. Um, but I, it doesn't have to, it, there doesn't have to be exclusivity just because I respect you and just because you're my parents, I have to condone behavior that you're doing that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I like your point of view here. And, but if we look at the major figures now, whether it's Jesus, he cut ties from his parents, his mother, and his, his uh, siblings. And then we have Buddha who did the same thing cut ties with his dad and with his wife and with his child, which is something I have a bit of an issue with personally, because I have a son. So it's, it's, we see that. And so in, in that sense, I'm thinking, well, sometimes it seems to be necessary if it is leading towards uh, greater freedom in that sense. But let's move on to uh, growth and success. And that's like personal and professional development that you talk about. And yeah, what, what can you say about that? What do you think? What's your, um, one of the main ideas here? Um, well, I think one of the things that we talk about there is what is content, like, like what is contentment? What is wealth? Um, and I think that's one of the ones that I love the most. So I'm just going to take a second to find it so I can share it because I really do love sure. that. One of the things they talk about, the possessions versus true wealth. And I really like that. Yeah. I, I hope you're referring to that. <laughs> I really, I think that's the same one. Yes. So uh, the uh, selection says Abu Huraira narrated the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, wealth is not in having many possessions, 
but rather true wealth is feeling sufficiency in the soul. And I thought that that was so beautiful, but also so relevant today. I mean, this is not far off from how I think the direction that we're moving and we understand true happiness comes from, mm -hmm. you know, inner happiness, happiness with yourself, working on yourself, uh, you know, in relationships, we, you know, you hear relationships, relationship experts say someone else cannot bring you happiness. You have to first be self-sufficient and you have to be happy within yourself also. So I felt like that was really relevant. I felt it was really beautiful. Still, still so relevant today. You know, if somebody just quoted you that, you'd be like, wow, that's, that's such a great, you know, piece of advice. Um, so yeah, so that's one of the, the things that when I read it, I knew I had to put this in there because I feel like this is exactly what I was looking for in terms of this section. How does Islam really define success, right? And this is telling you, right? We often say success is wealth. And here it's saying, so success is wealth and wealth is being sufficient, uh, finding sufficiency in your soul, feeling sufficient with yourself. Yeah, I just had a podcast and we would talk with a clinical psychologist and then he was saying like about talking about success and peace of mind. And I'm thinking, well, if you have peace of mind, that's the ultimate success. So it should be really about peace of mind. And that makes a huge difference. And it reminds me of uh, lines from an Emerson, Lake and Palmer song where it says, you don't have to be well to be wealthy, but you need to be whole to be holy. And I just love that. And I think once you have that, that connection with yourself, that peace, you are lucky. You're most yeah. fortunate. I agree. And I also feel like that that specific hadith kind of boils down to a very common thing that we also always say, which is money can't buy you happiness, right? Exactly. And that I think that's exactly what it's saying. It just takes it that step further. Money can't buy you happiness, but if you're sufficient within yourself, you will feel that happiness. Like that's the Beatles true. say, can't buy me love, right? So right, that's, exactly. that's one thing for sure. And uh, health, let's talk about health. That's your fourth uh, um, section here. Yeah, so there are a couple of different things going on in the health section. It's that there's a, about physical health, um, things that help you like honey is one of the hadiths that, that honey is recommended for um, curing certain things. Um, and also mental health. Mm -hmm. um so patience i think there's a, there's a couple different um hadiths in there that i tried to um incorporate i like the one about the two blessings that we waste and i completely agree with that <laughs> yeah yes i'm gonna find that one i think it's the first one um yes there are two blessings which many people waste, health and free time, Absolutely. which is so true. Yes. It's so true. I think that, you know, when you hear people who are closer to the end of their life and they say they wish that they had more time uh, and that, or that they didn't value the time that they once had. Um, and then also health, obviously, like when you're sick, even, you know, if it's a cold, it's like, oh, I can't wait till it's over. I can't wait to feel better, but also in more serious times you know with people who are suffering from covid or all these things that are now going on health-wise i think now especially we're really valuing our health and we're really seeing why that's important um, another one that i included that i felt like was relevant today uh it says death from plague is martyrdom for every muslim and i feel like if you think about covid it's, it's 
acts pretty much like the plague. We wouldn't characterize it that way, but it's very similar. And I think that's what the context is there. And I think this was important because I feel like we don't, haven't really processed. I just saw a headline. Nobody has really truly processed the grief uh, and the devastation of the of COVID loss that we've gone through in the last two years. And I thought that for someone who has suffered that type of loss, if they were reading this, it can kind of bring meaning to that loss mm -hmm. and, and um, help them process that loss in a different way, from a, from a faith-based perspective. What does Islam have to say about that? So that was something else that I loved and I, I felt like it was very relevant to today. Um, I wanted to include. Yes, absolutely. And so it's we, we feel invincible, we feel immortal, but we're neither. And it's it's that kind of illusion that we have. And once we do get sick, and once we do lose people who are dear to us, it kind of wakes us up. And I think that's when, when really, we have to run to faith, because that's the only thing that can really ground us in, in, in those moments of, of extreme suffering. But we can train for that, we can prepare for that. So when it happens, that we realize that yes, uh, um, we are mortal and uh, yes we can get sick so we have to protect our health and prevent uh, prevent disease as much as we can yeah, yeah. I, I think you know when we were talking about the first one that you liked about the two things that mm -hmm. that we waste is free time and health right mm -hmm. um again it just dawns on me like how relevant that is today but how relevant that was back then so even though we would like to think that we've evolved as a society from you know earlier times and that we we've learned and we're you know doing things better i mean i think we're still making a lot of those same mistakes so i don't know if that's just the inevitability of being human yes or if we have just not fully learned from history exactly i mean technology is here to save us time but then we're we're still like it's actually gotten worse so it should get better and so there is that we're creating this uh, in our own minds and we have to stop and realize and and be mindful and uh, and to do things that we enjoy and love and we're not doing that enough absolutely yeah. And as you talk about the CEOs who then talk about it, it's like they always like when they get close to the end of their lives, they look back. It's like, I wish, you know, I had done more. I'd spent time with my family, with loved ones and so on. They are not worrying about spending more time in the office or getting another business deal. So it, it's really things that matter that are important to us. Yeah. And the thing I love about our conversation is that it's sparking so much thought, right? These, these, these things that these hadiths and these these very you know valuable words are sparking thoughts that are very relevant to our lives and and it's not just you know obviously for women we are both having this conversation it's relatable for all really i know we say it's for women but really anyone could use this journal i think but i love that you know we can have all of those we can have these conversations and it sparks so many thoughts. And I feel like, you know, the lines that we have in here might not even be enough because there's so many things that just come up for you, you know, when you, when you read these things and you really truly deeply think about it. So I think when you set aside time to think about it, like we're setting aside time to kind of talk about it right now, I think a lot will come up and I think it will really benefit and, and spark just really deep relations mm -hmm. for people. And, and debating and being open to debate, debates and talking about them. Because in many cases, I realized things that I hadn't felt before. I realized things about myself in that debate. It's like, oh, 
I did not know I felt this way about it, or I didn't know I had this belief or this idea. So it's kind of the exploration and it helps to have others. And and in, in, in the Muslim community, there are these kinds of discussions too, where you kind of philosophical debates as well, where you discuss it. And it, that, I think that's hugely important. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing too is, you know, somebody asked me, oh, is this a workbook? Because to them, the idea of a guided journal was like a foreign concept. And I think the idea of a workbook is that it's a right, there's a right answer, right? But I think, you know, and journaling is different because each, every, everybody that gets this book or has a journal of their own, even if it's the same exact journal, you will fill the pages with your own experiences and it will all be, you'll get a different answer. Each person will have a different takeaway mm -hmm. um, from these things. And so that's also really like going back to what you were saying, it opens up debate because everybody will be able to relate or to see it or understand it in a different way. Yeah, and the idea of workbook, I don't like because it feels like work. And that's something I like yeah. journal because that is really something intimate. And uh, uh, as, as a teacher, I would have uh, writing journals where people express their thoughts. And then it's interesting to talk about them and share them with others. Uh, hugely important. And that gets us to community. Yeah. Right? The community and uh, they were talking about the uh, part of the Ummah, Muslim Ummah, the uh, Muslim community. But um community in terms of a, of a body, right? Of, of a whole functioning body that's connected. I like that. Yes, I love that. I thought, I, I love that we're really, like the ones that resonated with me are also resonating with you. Um, I think it's the first one here that says, uh, the believers in their mutual kindness, compassion, and sympathy are just like one body. When one of the limbs suffers, the whole body responds to it with wakefulness and fever. And I think it's really, yes, this is, you know, guidance for how we should act within the Muslim community when one of us suffers, we should all be behind that person, supporting that person, but also very relevant to today, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In the world, in global happenings. And I think, um, you know, there there is, while it's, it's a very tragic situation that's happening in, in the Ukraine, and I feel very, you know, heartbroken, it's also hard I think as a Muslim to see the disparity between how the Ukraine situation is cut, like the Ukraine, the war that is being waged in the Ukraine is being dealt so differently in the media compared to all of the, the tragedy that is happening in Muslim communities all around the world. And even if it's not Muslim communities, it's the Arab community in the Arab countries. Like it doesn't matter what your faith is, but I think you know, sometimes the color of your skin or the area of the world that you come from can can change the difference. I, I mean, I've seen um, just today. I saw uh, such a beautiful video. I think it's so important. I'm so glad that there are people in the world that are receiving this treatment. But two Ukrainian children who started school, they're refugees, and they started school in Italy, and they got this round of applause from and this big welcome from everyone, and that's so wonderful. But when I think about the refugees from you know, the Arab world and, and being like it, their stories are so vastly different, you yeah. know. Um, but I, I think I so I wish that that was the world's response. I wish the world's response to the the war in Ukraine and the injustice that is happening there was how we act for everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah, when, absolutely. When one community hurts, we all hurt. Yeah. We all stand yeah. up. 
I completely I, agree with you. And I think but what has happened, though, maybe we've also become a bit more sensitive thanks to COVID, where we thought, like, this is not going to happen to us. This is happening in China. It won't affect us. And it did. So now we're seeing th this happening in Europe, which is, like, really close to, to the Western society. And you realize this could happen in our towns, this could happen in our places. And that creates, uh, it kind of reduces the apathy that we have about it. And that kind of feeling of like, well, it's over there, it has nothing to do with us. And now the effects that we will see too, in terms of uh, repercussions, whether it's like higher costs, inflation and so on, apart from, of course, we're, we're talking about the losses of human lives and so on, but it's also affecting us. And we're really like, truly interconnected and i think it's that kind of realization that is growing and i'm probably an optimist there but i think we are moving in the right direction in that sense of unity solidarity with others and you know so much of it is very political a lot yeah. of the things that happen whether it's media coverage and and so i think you know that doesn't mean that that humans in themselves are not um compassionate towards mm -hmm. the things that are happening but Sometimes it's it's the systemic apathy to what goes on in the Middle East and what happens to Muslim communities, whether you know it, it was the Rohingya Muslims in, in Burma or it's the Uyghur Muslims and uh, or the Uyghur community in China. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it's not all you know. It's not all humans. It's more of like a systemic issue. So I definitely agree with that. Um, but it, it's it's just sometimes it's very blatant um the systemic issue of it yes. I, just a quick uh thing that happened recently um Gigi Hadid who is a model and she's had her father I believe is Palestinian she posted uh something on Instagram saying that she was going to donate uh to the efforts in Ukraine to help Ukraine refugees and also to Palestinians and to you know, to those in need that in within Palestine. And I think it was like the Vogue in France or something like that covered it. And they only covered the part where she was talking about how she was going to help Ukrainian refugees. But they didn't say that she was also going to, you know, help Palestinians. And so I think even something like that, it just, you know, you're covering a, an Instagram post. It doesn't seem like anything could really go wrong there. But it's like leaving out the plight of, of other communities. And I think sometimes that can show you whose struggles are valued and whose struggles are not deemed as important. And I think that's been hard as just, you know, just, I think it's just as humans to see the difference in, in how, because it's not just the communities I belong to. It's not just because certain, you know, communities are Muslim that I feel for them. I, I think there's a, just a very big difference in how people of different backgrounds or people who look a certain way are treated compared to others systemically, mm -hmm. right? But of course, with humans, when it comes to humans and how we treat each other, that differs from person to person. That's it's there's no generalization about that. I like to think of things on a spectrum. And what the what happens is like, so whether it's love, whether it's religion, whether it's politics, what happens is we are focusing more on the extreme parts. And that's why we have so much division. That's why we, we have uh, these uh, um, these ideas. Uh, and uh, I think we have to see it in, in, in other ways. And especially what happens uh, happened after 9-11. It just put like all Muslims on the extreme spectrum of things, which is not true. It's just a, a small group of people. It's the same as 
as the uh, KKK does not represent Christian values. So the same, they don't represent uh, uh, Muslim values. But we have to realize that, that most people would probably fall somewhere in between, right? And, yeah. and, and having those and realizing that and not seeing people in terms of black and white or of this race or that race and see it more as, again, a spectrum. No, for sure. And I think, you know, there are certain people that I follow who are Ukrainian who stay. Like, I know that there aren't, I know the Russian people don't feel this way. Even though mm -hmm. Russia is waging this war, exactly. I know that that's not how the Russian people feel. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, if you can be compassionate in that situation where your homeland is being attacked and you can know that that is, you can exercise compassion to people of that kind. I think we are moving in that direction, like you said. Mm -hmm. We are being more mindful about these things. We're being more, uh, there's less apathy and there's more understanding and more compassion, just even, you know, across the board in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. And in terms of education, I've seen uh, the move from the empty vessel. So the, the teacher is the one who has the authority and knowledge, which they will give to the student who's an empty vessel. And, and that is, that is completely, that's complete bogus. And you have here the, the arrogance of that. It's like, and that assuming that the student has no previous knowledge. And now we're moving towards a more student-centered approach. And I, I think that's something that we, again, we have to see in all aspects of of our lives that we should not see people in a one-dimensional way or like assuming that because you're from this country your worth economic worth is less than from another country and i think that is something again that needs to that is changing but needs to change even more drastically to become more equal again not deciding okay this is a, a man and woman the difference there and that all these assumptions negative assumptions that we have about them but being able to see them as there are as individual beings Yes, mm -hmm. for sure. And I also think that was very important what you said about like, just the teacher and student dynamic, because I think now we're becoming more understanding that we can learn from everyone. Exactly. You can, there are things that a four year old can tell you that is that is so innocent, and you can learn from their innocence, you can learn from the compassion that that young children have sometimes. Mm -hmm. You become jaded jaded as you get older your your mind changes you get become affected by the world you can learn from people young you can lo learn from the elderly you can learn from peers that are your same age you can learn from people of all backgrounds and it doesn't matter their education level their economic status it, none of that matters you can always learn something from someone else and i think that that is another thing that we're becoming more and more aware of as a society yeah i attended a talk by a psychiatrist and what he said just amazed me he said like he is learning from his patients because his patients are the one who are teaching about the field and i just love that you know it's not like he, him healing us and being the doctor no it's like working together collaborating and learning from the others yeah, that's such an important thought. Yeah, I think that just supports exactly what I was just saying. Like, we're Absolutely. every like even professionals are able to like move in that direction and see that that collaborative uh, effort as just instead of oh we're helping you, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's not the other way. Like they don't before. I feel like that wasn't the idea. You know that mm -hmm. it would go both ways. And I want to also talk finally about gratitude and uh, you are, this is a gratitude journal and um, things we're grateful for. And um, psychology has shown, has shown us the power of that, the effects that it has in our lives. Once we acknowledge it and realize it and uh, how fortunate we are, even if in our misfortunes, uh, that makes us also more positive in our outlook. And we also become happier and feel better. 
Yes. Um, yeah, I thought that was such an important thing. And I think that goes to the mindfulness. It, it really works well, having a prayer journal and gratitude journal together. It is mindfulness in, in, in different ways. Um, also, one of the things that I loved about the word shukr is it means gratitude. And it also appears in the Quran, uh, often alongside the word sabr, which means patience. Um, and gratitude and patience are seen as making up a Muslim's faith. They're the two halves of faith, it is, it's, it's said. So um, it's, it's to see that we are now giving so much value to gratitude and seeing the effects of, of gratitude and how it can bring positivity into our lives and positive change. And also to see how Islam values gratitude and patience and, and that, that being the foundation of one's faith also was very um, interesting to me when I was thinking about uh, titles and how to really encapsulate exactly what this journal is about. Um, but yeah, I think it's important. And I think it's, it's like gratitude on a larger scale. I feel like because in this journal, what I ask is what are three things that you can express gratitude to God for? And I think sometimes we know we're grateful to this person for this and grateful to this person for that. But I think it helps you when we say grateful to God, you really examine your life and you're really able to truly reflect on all the things. It's not this person has done this thing for me. You are able to think about the life and the circumstances you live in and, the, and you're able to bring and, and kind of manifest that positivity around you. Like, wow, I'm so grateful that I have my health today. I'm grateful that I'm surrounded by amazing people. I am grateful that I have a fulfilling job, whatever it is. Grateful to be alive as well. I mean, that is a privilege we often forget. Yes, no, of course. And so I think, you know, just, and but something like that, that we take so much for granted to bring that to the forefront of, mm -hmm. of your mind and to write that down, to actually do an action that says, I am grateful to be alive today can change how you take on the day, right? Like, okay, you spill coffee on a normal day when you're not thinking about gratitude, you're just like, oh, today's the worst day. Oh, I missed my bus, I did this. And then if you start off your day with that thought, whatever the thought is of, of gratitude, it's like, you know what, it's okay. That's a minor thing compared to the blessings that I have or the positive things that I have in my life. I, I, it definitely makes sense why, you know, psychologists are saying that gratitude um, can, can have really positive effects on our mental health. Let me express my gratitude for you being here, sharing your insights on Arash's world and for your for your book, your prayer journal for uh, Muslim women and others and anyone really. And uh, it's called Shuk, an inspirational dua and gratitude journal for women. And uh, Gabrielle, thank you so much for, for being here and sharing your, your thoughts, insights. It was such a pleasure to have you. Yes, I love this conversation. It was so wonderful to just dig deeper and into the journal. Um, it was wonderful. So thank you for your time and for your thoughts and for having me here today. Thank you so much.